0: to have you with us. I did not grow up going to church. Did and anyone else in my in my boat, you didn't grow up go, going to church? A few people, yeah, you didn't didn't grow up going to church. My mom started going to church when I was in grade school and she tried to convince our family to go. And there were some things that I liked about church, but there were definitely some things that weirded me out about the way church people did things and some of the habits that they have. I remember the first year that my mom said Okay, it's, it's coming up to Halloween, and we're not going to go out for Halloween. What, what we're going to do is we're going to go into the church, and we're going to dress up as one of Noah's Ark's creatures. And then we're going to go to the strangers that you don't know in the church and get candy from them. And as you go around, they're going to say, God bless you, instead of trick or treat. And it seemed a lot like Halloween to me, except that we were getting candy, less candy, and it was people that were in the church rather than outside the church. So my mom tried to explain to me that, that Halloween was some kind of sa- satanic ritual, and we were going to do the exact same thing, but in the church, and that would make, make it acceptable to God. And I started thinking it through. I said, if pretending to be a Blue Jay and going and getting a Snickers from my friend's mom was, sa- was satanic, I had some a lot of rethinking to do because I did that just about every day in the summer, pretend to be a Blue Jay player and eat candy at my friend's house. But that, that pretty much was the incongruency that I saw. I, I started to see how come some things we f- say in the church and do in the church don't seem to line up. It seems to be a little bit hypocritical. Now, On this side of things, I can see her argument, but I do often also wonder about hypocrisy and some of the things that we do. For years, Christians have struggled against fighting the label of being hypocritical. We tell people what is wrong and what is right, and then we work really sure to make sure that nobody else would do the wrong things because we feel that's our place in society. And, and then we'll go and we'll say we're really excited about the latest movie that's coming out. Well, let me ask you, how much violence and swearing is an acceptable level for a Christian to watch? Does anybody have, a, like, at what number of swear word pushes it past the limit of what's acceptable for a Christian? We become very hypocritical, don't we? We say, well, that movie's bad because I think it's bad, but that movie's good because I say it's good. And we say, you know, we're not okay with the swearing, but we're okay if there's a suggested sex outside of marriage scene, as long as nothing is shown. In your head, you can just say, and they probably hugged and then said goodnight and slept in another room. And that, la, 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 I don't know what's happening. And, when we try, and we try and make it good for ourselves. We even went as far... Uh, For a while there, we really had this big thing happen. uh, We we created an entire genre of music called Christian music. And it's like music, but it has more more spiritual worth to it. It's not worship music, but we feel that if it was produced by a Christian producer, even if it's not talking about God, then that's okay for us to listen to, even though the artists themselves may or may not be very moral people. And I remember the day when... um, I remember the day when I had to, I was, I was at my youth group, and they said I had to break a lot of these CDs that I had, because they were bad CDs, and I thought, these aren't bad CDs, there's, there's no swearing, or there's no bad, but it wasn't produced by a Christian person, and we all had to smash our CDs, and I thought, something's wrong here, I don't, I don't understand what's happening, and we become hypocrites in this place sometimes, and I was thinking about it. You know the nature of the church, the design of the church is set up to be hypocritical. We come here, and what do we learn? The last few weeks we 've been talking about everybody in the world is a sinner who 's only been made holy by god it doesn 't matter how how good we try and live we can 't live up to that standard. so we, we come here, we hear that maybe our lives are acceptable or not acceptable to God, and then we go out and try and live a life that falls short of his expectations. So we sin, we make mistakes, people see that, and then they wonder how a person who confesses God and goes to church can live a life the way that they live it. And then we see things like in this video, and if you're a Big Bang Theory, you know that, that, that Sheldon, if you're a Big Bang Theory fan, you know that Sheldon's mom is, is evangelical, hardcore, talking about, talking about God all the time, and they, and they can't. Say, I'm not going to buy into that lifestyle, so there's no reason for God and other reasons as well. And it's this pattern that scares a lot of people off of church because they base their opinion of church from what they've seen or heard from one individual particular person. They'll say, have you ever heard this? All Christians are like such and such. All Christians think this way, or all Christians believe this or say that. And oftentimes that means that they've had a negative experience with one person, so they've seen it and they say, well, everybody must be that way. And when when we think about that, that's called stereotyping, and it's very offensive in other realms of society, but when we apply it to the church, we seem a little bit more okay with it. Let's imagine yourself in a scenario. You're out on the 401, and you see a car driving... Slower than what you would deem to be acceptable on the four oh one. And you see them weaving a little bit in and out of traffic, and you see them uh just causing a ruckus for people. Now you're saying, I'm gonna get around this car. I don't wanna be behind this car anymore. And as you pull up right now, just imagine in your head, this is you. You see this car, you're getting around it. As you pull up beside the car, what gender do you expect to see driving that car? <laughs> What age do you expect to be that driver? <laughs> 20-year-old mayor, male, meneer M- 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 has got it pegged. What ethnicity do you, at, do you expect that driver to be? Anybody offended in the room yet? <laughs> Hopefully some of you are. Listen, we get offended when, when we're talking about gender or race or age. We'll get offended by that, but when it comes to religion, we're okay with stereotyping a little bit. All people are this way, all people are that way. And I will encounter people all the time that tell me that Christians are selfish, yet I know how much money is given to ministry here in Milton, to ministry around the world. I know how much we all sacrifice. And you tell me that Christians are selfish with their time and their money? No, I can tell you Christians who are not selfish with their time and money. And they say, well, Christians can never laugh at themselves. Well, that's what we're doing for the first 10 minutes here, here this morning, is being able to say, you know, we've done some things that maybe had good intentions but didn't really turn out that way. And we say that all that Christians want is money, and I know the reason why we meet is not so that we can raise money so, so we, can have a, we can get rich at the church here. If I wanted to get rich, I would not be doing what I'm doing, trust me. <laughs> I know that these opinions come from experience with Hypocrisy, and since we know that hypocrisy drives people away, and since the church is obviously a place where there's going to be hypocrisy, what we're going to do this morning is take a look at three potential reasons why, as we meet together, we become hypocritical. We're in the last two weeks of our series. If you're visiting with us this morning, we've been in a series since January, and we're looking at the tough questions as to what um, what people would question about God or why they may or may not come to God or stay away from God, and it's based on Tim Keller's book, uh, The Reason for God. So we have our Sunday morning services based around that. We also have growth groups that meet all throughout the week within uh, people's homes because we know that on Sunday mornings all we really do is open up uh, the conversation. We don't answer the questions. What we love is to be able to get into the, to the discussion in a, in, a, in a deeper and more rich way. So if you're not into a group, let us know. We know we've got uh, five or six groups meeting in Milton right now and, and the opportunity for more. So we'd love to have you get into your group as well. And if you can't even find a group here, there's a Wednesday night growth group experience in Mississauga. You can go there on on uh, Wednesdays. And there's, there's been about 70, 80 people who get together every week just to discuss what we've been talking about on Sundays a little bit deeper. So this morning, we're gonna to look at three potential causes as to why there's hypocrisy and can I trust the church. So uh, you can open up your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, quickly slip up your hand. One of our ushers will make sure you get a copy of the Bible to share. And if you have the Portico app, you can follow along in the notes. You can fill in the notes there. They're also in your bulletin. And if you don't have the Portico app, what is wrong with you? Go get the Portico Just kidding. <laughs> uh, it's, it's available on Blackberry. It's available on um, Google Play as well as uh, on iTunes. So here we go, three potential causes of hypocrisy and can I trust the church? The first one is this, is this arrogant and judgmental attitudes. There's no reason to dance around the subject here as I stand at the front of a church. There are some Christians who just believe that they live better lives and they need to make other people feel bad because they don't measure up to the life that they feel they have attained. And there's way too many times that the media will get a hold of a Christian who's letting other people know how bad they are and they become representatives of our faith and this arrogant and judgmental attitude just goes all over the place. You've seen people in the media, right? And it just it just makes you want to cringe because you think that's not me. That's not what I believe. But then all of a sudden they get there. Do you remember Pastor Terry Jones from, from Miami? Anybody remember Pastor Terry Jones? This 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 was a man, yeah, we can put the, the picture up, Stuart. This this was a man who felt that on the anniversary of 9-11. The thing to proclaim God's truth and grace in the world was to burn Qur'ans. And he, and he, he uh, established meetings in public places where they would burn 200 Qur'ans and just tell people of Muslim faith how God didn't like them and how God was going to punish them and he was upset with them. And you think about this and you go... Well, that's a horrible attitude, and that has nothing to do with God's uh, love for all people and, God's cre- and how God creates all of us as his sons and daughters, but that's the person who represented evangelicalism in the southern U.S., and that goes far and wide. And we say, why do people think Christians are hypocritical? Well, some people get highlighted like that. We know that, um, do you remember Pastor, Pastor Jerry Falwell? Who led the charge into the homosexual community, and he and he took on people head on. He called Ellen DeGeneres. Catch how witty he was, Ellen Degenerate. Wow. Well, yeah, probably took him a whole night to figure that one out. But he be, he begins a slur campaign against somebody that's loved in the loved in in the in the in pop culture and in and in, in media, and he decides to say, you know, I'm going to publicly shame this lady because she's not living a lifestyle that lines up with what we see in 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 Scripture, he even went as far to take on uh, the Teletubbies. Anybody remember the Teletubbies growing up? You remember the Teletubbies? Remember the slur campaign against Tinky Winky because Tinky Winky was purple and yeah, yeah, Tinky Winky. Yeah, we're, we're, we liked and La La and you're right along with it. this. This sermon is speaking to you, isn't it? He <laughs> he creates a hate campaign against a children's character because it may or may not be be uh, teaching values that aren't biblical to kids i'm not here to say which is right which is wrong but i am saying it's wrong to to tear down other people publicly in the media that's completely against scripture and we get this arrogant and judgmental attitude that comes across and these people represent us in the world and it makes me want to cringe listening when other christians want to tell people how wrong they are in fact let's go to the word and see what the bible says about when we participate in things like this matthew 7 verses 3 to 5 and you'll see this on your screen and in your notes it says this, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank of wood in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye? When there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is, these are the words of Jesus, not my words, so if you're mad at me, uh, you can go talk to Jesus about it. <laughs> we can have a prayer time afterwards. This 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 is Jesus talking to a group of Pharisees, Bible teachers, who did very well at keeping small parts of the law, but then had this arrogance and judgmental attitude, and it's, it's what we discussed a few weeks ago with the problem of sin and sin in rules. Humans sin. All of us sin, and there's no sin that's worse. There's none that are bigger and none that are smaller. In God's eyes, we are all on equal standing. Now, it's true that some sin has greater consequence for us here on earth. We may choose to do something outside of God's great plan for our life, and we're going to face consequences here on earth. But it doesn't matter to God which sin we have, whether it's pride, whether it's murder, whether it's theft, whether whether we break any one of the Ten Commandments, whatever it is, to God, we're all in this equal state, sinful. And there's a very easy line that humans begin to draw when a person comes to to Christ, because we say, well, when I come to Christ, I want to make some changes. I want to start living my life differently. So we try to live a life that's more closely aligned to the Bible than what we previously did. And we feel that we're making God happier and we're improving our lives. And and you know, Scripture does teach us that God wants us uh, to, to change our lives. And here's the standard that he actually sets for us. He says, be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. And we go, "Uh uh-oh, I'm not perfect. And I know the only way that I can receive this perfection, this holiness, is when I receive forgiveness of my sins through Jesus. And so it doesn't make us less sinful just because we've made changes, and it certainly doesn't put us in a position to become judgmental of other people who are on the same journey that we're on, not perfect, but attempting to become as best as we can. So quite naturally, we go here. And there was a story in Jesus' day, and we see it in Luke chapter seven. The Pharisees were there. I remember the Pharisees, they were saying, they, they were very good at keeping many of God's rules, and they were very strict, and they were keeping holy lives. They did everything they could to be perfect. When, they, when it said about tithing and give one-tenth of everything you, you earn, they would tithe on their condiments and their spices, and they would say, we're gonna give a tenth of that to the church, and they would tithe on their clothing, and they would tithe on their time, and tithe on their money. They were so good at making sure that they were keeping the law. When it came to the Sabbath, we say, you know, I take fewer, I, I don't really, I can't really fit a full 24-hour period off in my seven days a week, so I try and just take some time to reflect on God. Sometimes they immobilized themselves on the Sabbath. They didn't do anything. They had people cook, and they made sure that all the cooking was done the night before so they could eat all day, and they didn't clean, they didn't get up, they didn't lift a finger, they didn't do anything that was work because they wanted to honor the Sabbath. And then they were having Jesus over. These are these holy Pharisees. And they had Jesus over to a party. And we're going to read this in Luke 7, 36 through 39. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. Now, think about somebody that was identified as a woman living a sinful life. So she came with there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, crying. And she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then then she wiped them with her hair and she kissed them and poured perfume on them. She's just so broken being with Jesus. And when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is and that she is a sinner. So the Pharisee there brought himself into the place where, you know what, I'm not a sinner anymore because I've done all these good things. And we get so hypocritical, and we forget that although we've made changes, we're still sinners. We're still at the same place that everybody else is. And people hate the church because they can't seem to remember that, although, yes, this prostitute that day was a sinner, so was the Pharisee. And people stay far away from Jesus because... You and I sometimes forget we're sinners. You are, I am. Heaven help us! Even Pastor Doug is a sinner. (laughs) Even Tinky Winky is a sinner. (laughs) I know (laughs) we're all sinners, and the only way we come to the only way we come to God is through the sacrifice that Jesus made. Luke six and thirty-seven. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. But forgive and you will be forgiven. What a different church it would be if everybody that walked in here just went, this is unbelievable. This is a place where I can just be myself and encounter God's presence and not feel like anybody else is speaking to me about my life. It's just between me and God. Now, we know that every act of hypocrisy, though, is not blatant judging. Some of it comes to, and this is our second point, it's actually misunderstanding and misapplication of the scriptures. And there are good-hearted Christians who often mess up just trying to do what they think pleases God. And I think this is where some of these habits that we talked about at the beginning, whether it was the harvest party so we keep our kids out of, out of, out of Halloween or whether it's the uh, Christian music, all these things we say, you know what, I, I want to do everything that I can to honor God and I want to make sure that I'm not towing that line where I'm not supposed to be. And good-hearted Christians then set barriers between people who don't believe in God and people who believe in God. And we come to this story, this confrontation between Peter, who was one of the 12 disciples, one of the ones that Jesus called to spend his, th- his three years of public ministry on earth with. So he gave Peter everything that he possibly could. He, he taught him, he had him come alongside and see how we live life. And then we have Paul, who was miraculously, inca- he, Jesus came and, and, and stopped him on the road and he said, Paul saw why are you persecuting me and he changed his name to Paul and then Paul went on to write the New Testament so we have these new we have these two early church leaders and they come together because Peter Came to faith through this Old Testament system of being and the Old Testament system was redeemed if you if you know about the Bible the Old Testament was all about sacrifices and then that sacrifice of blood making them acceptable to God again. And then Jesus coming saying, guys, I am the ultimate sacrifice. And that system of the law where you had to be circumcised and where you had to tithe on, these, uh, on, on all your spices and, when, and where there had to be animal death, all of that is stopped now. All you have to do is honor me with your life. Give everything to me, but accept my sacrifice and that will be, um, that will be the way that you come to God. So this is, this is Peter's faith. And then we have Paul who he came to Jesus after Jesus had already died and where he understood I'm a sinner and I'm only saved by grace. Now he, he understood the law, he had studied the law, but he came to Christ uh, at, a, at a different level. And here's what we see when they meet each other and they're retelling this story in Galatians two eleven through 13. And we're gonna read this out of the New Living Translation. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to, this is Paul speaking, when Peter came to Antioch, this is not a Jewish place. I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians, or those who wouldn't have grown up under the law, and those who were not circumcised. The, remember, this, this wasn't allowed before. Before, the, the Jews and the Gentiles wouldn't have been together. And so as Peter was starting to understand this, he was getting there. He still struggled for, with the thought of, is it okay for Christians to be in to be in relationship with, to engage with people who live differently, who maybe have experienced God a little bit differently, who aren't quite there yet. Does that sound familiar at all? We struggle with, am I okay with being aligned with somebody whose life looks a little different than mine? Let's keep reading. But afterwards, when some of the friends of James came, James, the brother of Jesus, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He separated himself. He was afraid of criticism. Get this. Peter was afraid of being criticized from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. And as a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So these, this is Peter and Barnabas, so a missionary, a disciple who struggled with wanting to please God and do what Jesus had taught them and said, you know what, until you guys are circumcised, I'm not going to be able to have lunch with you anymore. <laughs> I have to separate myself. I can't be in the place where you're being. Now, every man in the room here is thankful that we're not looking for circumcision as a membership into Portico. And we're not like, we don't want that. We don't want to go down that road. Jesus, stopped that. He said, our hearts become circumcised. That, 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 we, are, that we are accepted by faith and by his grace. But in this moment, this is what Peter was struggling with. We don't struggle with that anymore, but we have our debates, don't we? Do we have our debates about who can come to God and who can't come to God? Can a person be gay yet be in the church? And if he or she can be in the church, can we call them a believer? Or can we be friends? Or can they serve in leadership? So are we saying that there are some sin that I have that's not as bad, so I can be in leadership, but other sin that others have, so they can't be in our church? And listen, I understand that this is a well-intentioned discussion because a person who says, no, I'm gay, does that mean that, they ha- that they're saying, God, you can touch any part of my life, but you can't touch my sexuality? Have they really submitted their hearts to God? That is a great discussion to have and not something we're going to resolve here today and not something we're going to dig de- deep into today. So we're going to leave it open-ended. But I will say this, that if any person admits that they have sin and has believed in Jesus and has asked for forgiveness, and is learning what it means to submit to God in all their ways, they are 100% welcome to lead and serve in our church, whether they're turning, whether, how long they're on their journey of turning their life over to God. And the debate rises out of a place of well-intentioned believers upholding biblical standards and biblical truths, which we know is important. There is God's truth that we, we need to know where is the line, right and wrong, but we also need to know where the line of grace is. And the line of grace is this. If anyone says, I am sinful and broken and not perfect yet, and I'm ready for Jesus to touch every area of my life, that's amazing. (laughs) Then Then you're serving God. And in an effort to please God, the church has segregated ourselves away from the very people that he wants to tell that he loves. Matthew 9 and 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. (laughs) And we separate ourselves because we say, if you're sinful, you can't come and be with us. And the Bible cannot be understood verse verse by verse. We do this all the time. We see a verse and we say, but this verse says this. So that means this must be the way. The Bible is understood as an entire work en masse, 66 books, Remember, we looked at how was the Bible put together, all the different writers over all the years it had to be put together by God. And if you read one verse that specifically speaks of God's judgment, we can show you one verse that specifically speaks of God's mercy. And if you read one verse that says, "And, and, and, and we should live this way, we see another verse that says, and I'm patient and I'm waiting and I'm calling all of you back to me. The context of what was taught, when it was taught, why it was taught, all plays into how we understand the scriptures. And that's why as a church we say, listen, every year we have to read this Bible, we have to take time every day just to read a little bit of it, and then next year we're going to do the same thing again so that we understand the whole Bible. And that's why we go to growth group and study during the week, because we need to spend time just thinking about it, talking about it with other people, learning about it, because I want to get it right. I don't want to be someone that said, hey, you're misunderstanding and misinterpreting that. And the overall message of the Bible is this, that God loves us so much that he sacrificed his perfect son for a broken world, for a world that is lost, for a world that is hurting, for a world that doesn't know who he is, so that they would feel his love. And yes, there is a judgment piece. And next week, we're gonna, this is the last big question we're going to ask. We're going to say, why is God so angry in sending people to hell? And we're going to talk about that, about that there is a heaven and hell. There's one interesting stat, and you're going to want to be here n- next week as we, as we kind of delve this out. But um, there, were, there, there was a survey that was taken, and 90% of people on the street believe that they're going to heaven. Less than 10% of them actually believe that there's a, a one pathway to God, <laughs> but 90% of them believe that they're going to heaven, which is a really interesting kind of, uh conflicting information and there is a judgment piece but the overall message of the bible is not necessarily judgment the overall message of the bible is is that god came so that we wouldn't have to be judged god came so that the thing that would cause us judgment actually is forgiven and moved behind us and while we're here on earth the message is grace and the lens with which we interpret the bible and the stories of the bible can sometimes turn what is the greatest love story that has ever been written into one that's about condemnation. And unintentionally, we become hypocritical. And if God is patient with us and allows us time to change, and he allows us grace when we're slow to change, then we should have the same grace extended to other people. If we forgive, we'll be forgiven. Okay, last one. We've got, we've got sometimes we're just being hypocritical and arrogant. Sometimes... We're not applying the scripture the way that we need to. We're a little bit misinformed about it. The last one is this. It's just an immature faith. When I first came to church, I told you I didn't grow up going to church. So when I, when I first came to church, I looked around at some of the other people in church and I wondered, have they been paying attention? Because I don't, I don't think their life is kind of like what that guy has been talking about. There was, there was the man who, I remember, I had a few buddies that worked for this guy, who managed the subway store? And they were like, "Do not work for this subway. He is mean. He's stingy on your checks. He doesn't. He makes sure you're never allowed to go early, even when you don't need to go. And he's just he, he's just the worst boss you could ever possibly work for." And I walked in the church and I was like, "Hey, how are you doing?" There was that guy that everybody told me was the worst possible boss. And there he was. There was a guy who was on our high school football team, and everybody talked about him as the biggest drunk partier guy that you could ever have, and there he was at youth group. He was the drummer. <laughs> and then there was... And then there was... I was, I was the drummer, right, Joe? The drummer. <laughs> and then there was the lady. <clears throat> it was a Wednesday night. We were, I was at a youth group meeting, and I walked by, and she ripped the hat off my head, snapping my net back and i'm not a christian i'm just checking i was going to church because there was girls there and she said she said with a very stern voice to me as she gave me neck damage she said we don't wear hats in church (laughs) and i looked at her snapped my hat back and said yes we do and put my hat on and walked away i don't think she liked me very much I, started, I I stayed to that church for a little while. I went to Bible college and became an intern there and, and every time I would look down at her, I thought, She is just thinking, that is that snotty little kid who looked at me that one day and said, Yes, we do. Here's the question though. How long is a person allowed to attend church without changing before we call them a hypocrite? How long have you been attending church? <laughs> Are we saying that within one month, the person should have everything cleaned up and that's, now they're allowed to be in church? Maybe a year, maybe, maybe 10 years? Or maybe there is no limit. And people come to ch- Some people will come to church and their heart has been given over to Christ, yet their life will remain fairly unchanged because they haven't learned how to submit their heart and their will over to Christ. And they would have an immature faith, but it's still faith in Jesus. And it's not up to me to judge them. If we read a part of a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Asia, in Corinth, let's look at Paul's take on how the people of Corinth were doing in, their, in changing their life. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2. Here's what he writes to them. I also received a report of scandalous sex within your church family, <laughs> a kind that wouldn't even be tolerated outside the church. One of your men is sleeping with his stepmother. This, this is in the Bible. Again, I'd send your cards and letters somewhere else. And... <laughs> And you're so above it all that it doesn't even phase you. Shouldn't this break your hearts? Shouldn't this bring you to your knees in tears? Shouldn't this person and his conduct be confronted and dealt with? And the answer is yes. In the church, we're allowed to look at each other and go, guys, there are standards. <laughs> and we need to live up to our standards. We need, we, we need to make sure that in, on Sunday mornings what we teach in growth group, when we have friendships together we we learn to get beside one another and as proverbs 27 and 17 says let iron sharpen iron so let somebody who's full of faith and full of god allow ourselves to be refined and things to be pulled out of our lives but as as a counselor as just a human being i know this people don't change until they have a motivation to change and we can't change them and when people come to church that doesn't mean that their life is necessarily going to be changed i get parents Uh, Bring me kids all the time and say, Hey, would you just help my kid pay attention and change and and do the right thing? And that won't work. Because I know that the practice of counseling is about helping people ask themselves questions. And when they're in a state of readiness to make a difference, to to live differently, well, then they'll change. And many people get to church and they like the part about being forgiven of their sin and they like the part about connecting with God, but they're not quite ready to allow God to change their habits. And that gets a little uncomfortable for them. And so that they can't, they're in this immature phase uh, of their faith. And the church is deemed hypocritical because we're full of sinners whose lives are no different and whose marriages seem to break down at the same rate and whose people still break the law and who treat each other not the best. And it's true. We'll stand and say, you know, we're guilty as charged. Because in our midst, as we meet together, we know there are people who don't have faith. And we love that we have a church where you don't have to have faith to come. You can come and just check out what God's all about. We know that in our midst, there are people with immature faith that are still saying, I'm figuring out if I believe this yet and, and kind of what this means. My life hasn't been changing yet. We know there are people that have been serving God for, for 60, 70 years and their lives have been daily transformed by the power of his word and they're living a standard that we others haven't attained to and that's amazing and that's what we should all go for because as the word says, be perfect, just like your father in heaven is perfect. So we know that it's true. We, we do have those who would appear to be hypocritical. But our goal this morning was to look at ourselves and look at the message that we send out from the church and for the christ followers in the room if you're a believer if you believe in god here's the challenge would you be brave enough this morning to do some self-examination and see if there's any area of your life or your belief or your mindset that puts you and i into a different category than others (laughs) that we say you know i'm better off because i don't struggle with this sin and if we get there Folks, we need to remember, let's take the plank out of our own eye because at that moment when when we're saying, I'm better because I don't, we've become judgmental and arrogant and we have pride. 2 Corinthians 13 and 5 encourages us to do this. Remember, this is the letter to the Corinthian church. (laughs) Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. And if we're not in the process of growth and change, then why are we here? (laughs) Why do we meet together on Sunday morning if we're not just, able to go through the process of self-reflection and say, Holy Spirit, identify something in my mindset that I need to change. And we are not perfect and we should never be so proud to admit as such. We should be transparent enough to say, I have fault and I have weakness and Lord, help me grow. It's not about being judged. It's about, it's about growing. 1 Corinthians 13 and 11, again to the Corinthian church. When I was a child, I talked like a child and I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood behind me and so we understand this in the in the process of growth into an adult physically let's understand that the process of the growth into a christian as well that we should b- always be every day every year every month looking at our lives and going what's some what's one more childish thought that i used to have That i go lord thank you that i'm that i'm, that I'm growing and for those who are here this morning who have been offended out of church or driven away by faith because the life of a Christian didn't line up with the faith that they professed, can I end with a challenge to you? Tonight, as you cheer on a football team, <laughs> and we're all sad that Tom Brady's not there, I know, but we can still watch football anyway, <laughs> there will be some fans who cheer with you. Have you ever been to one of these places where there'll be somebody who cheering? They will be obnoxious and arrogant and, un- and uneducated, yet you'll still be there and enjoy the Super Bowl, even though there were some that were offensive to you. And as you get together, next, next weekend's a long weekend, it's a family day holiday, there'll be hugs and there'll be laughter and there'll be fun and there'll be food and we'll have days away and times away. And there will also be that one weird cousin that dresses funny and tells stories that are way too personal and weird and he kind of creeps you out. <laughs> but you don't disown your family mem- your family because of one family member that's a little bit off, do you? Listen, I serve a loving God who loves people and forgave me and chose me and called me to be in this family. And in his family, there are some pretty amazing people who care for me and love me and care for my kid and have my back and support me when I need it and challenge me when I'm out of line. And in Christ's family, there are also a few weirdos. (laughs) Who have, misre- re- who have misrepresented my faith because of arrogance, because of misapplication of scripture, because they just haven't finished maturing yet. Even the people that we put up on screen, I want to be as bold as to say, I believe that Pastor Jerry Falwell and, and Terry Jones, I believe that they love Jesus. And I believe that they came to a saving faith and knowledge. And what they how they acted was not in line with his word, but I don't believe that they came just to manipulate. I believe that They came and led a church because at some point they loved Jesus and came away. And I know that there are, in our family, (laughs) there are those who are dealing with arrogance. There are those who are dealing with education. There are those who are dealing with just the maturing of their faith. But I am not willing to miss out on what God has for me because there are still people in our family that are not perfect yet. And can I trust the church? Absolutely you can because you can trust the head of the church. And we can have faith that what God said he would do, he's going to continue to do the good work in us until it's completed and until he comes back. Let's pray. God, I thank you that I don't have to be perfect. And I thank you that uh, you forgive my mistakes and my sin daily, whether it's just the nature that I have, the human nature that's sinful, whether it's a mistake that I make, Lord, um, thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for Everyone here this morning, you forgive them as well. The moment that we're able to say, God, I'm not perfect, you take the sin away and you don't remember it anymore and we're not, held, uh, we're not held accountable for that. You remove it as far as the east is from the west, your word says. So I thank you for that. And God, for each of us this morning, whether we have faith, whether we're just questioning faith, I pray that beyond everything, we wouldn't look to people, we wouldn't look to human and the human standard, we would look to you and your eyes that says, I love you. I know, that you're, I know that you fall short, but I'm calling for you just to come and accept me and my gift of life and love and grace to you today. So thanks, God, and I pray that this word resonate in our hearts as we go to our groups this week. Challenge us. Help us to have real conversation. And we just ask that you would um, continue to do great things in our midst in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.